The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, you magical people out there, and welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. Today on our show, we have a very special guest. Our good friend, Nigel Taylor, is with us. Thank you so much for being on our show, Nigel. Thank you for having me. Would you mind telling our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, absolutely. I'm Nigel Taylor. I'm the lead singer of Platform One. I have also spent about the last decade as a professional professor Snape impersonator, otherwise known as Vladimir Snape. And you're very, very good at it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm a strong advocate for feminism and anti-bullying. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being in our podcast. And I just want to say I love having you on. We've done several panels together at a number of different conferences. And I love working with you. I love what you do. Thank you. It's always a pleasure working with you as well. This is a very appropriate episode for you to be on because what we're going to be going into today on our podcast is Chapter 8, The Potions Master. In the beginning of this chapter, we see that as Harry starts at Hogwarts, he is the subject of frequent whispers and initially having a hard time learning how to get around the castle. He's a new student. He's having a rough time. Between the changing staircases and Peeves making, you know, (laughs) issues for him, it can be very difficult to get to classes on time and get used to being in this new world that he's in. What does this say about acculturation and fitting into a new environment? I think that any time we start in a new school in general as a new student, it can be really challenging. But going to a new world, such as new city, new country, where there are different customs and different traditions can be really difficult. I think that for Harry, he's not just the new guy in the school, but he's also for the first time around magical people. So much like Hermione, he hasn't had a lot of experience with this world other than for that brief first year of his life being around his parents. So for him to understand how magic works certainly takes a little bit of time to understand how to get used to moving staircases and moving portraits is challenging. Whereas for people like Ron, who've had a poltergeist experience and, you know, a ghoul in their house, they might be more used to something like that. For me personally, moving to United States from Ukraine was really challenging too. And, you know, I didn't speak the language. I didn't know my way around the school. And so I remember how challenging it was, not just finding my way around the school, but even understanding what was expected of me. So those first few weeks of school can certainly be really, really difficult for a lot of children. 
I can only imagine. I mean, like Harry was so he never felt a part of the regular world as well. Like growing up with the Dursleys, they never made him feel part of their lives in a way that would be, you know, fulfilling to him in any way. And then to go from that to such a radically different environment at Hogwarts, where not only is he immersed in this magic world that he's had no exposure to up until just ever so recently, but there's also the possibility of having friends that could be very exciting. So I think it'd be very uh, sort of a, a dual-edged scenario for him. Exactly. In Hogwarts, the students seem to have a very busy schedule from midnight astronomy classes to double potions classes with Slytherins, <laughs> I might add. But they have a lot of homework. And how might such schedules affect students? I think student burnout is really prevalent. We're seeing that in children all over we're seeing added pressures where students are getting sick or getting chronic headaches, for example. I see a lot of them as clients, students coming in from severe stress. Many students even contemplating suicide from the awful amount of pressure that they're on. Just this past week, the World Health Organization has officially released a statement saying that burnout is an actual medical diagnosis now. I'm really glad to hear that it's being recognized in this way because that's what a lot of students go through with the amount of work and schedules, having to stay up until at the very least one or two in the morning, I imagine, for Harry and his friends to do astronomy at the astronomy tower. And then having to wake up early and still having to do homework and then eventually participate in sports is a really, really busy schedule. And for some students, it might be unreasonable. You know, when you live at home as opposed to, to living at the school, there isn't a parent or someone immediately there to sort of encourage or monitor proper time management. So time management at this point really solely falls on the individual student. And particularly for students of such a young age, that's going to be tremendously difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. To expect an 11-year-old to do all of their homework unsupervised and yep. be able to make it to all their classes and wake up in time. Yeah, that's really challenging. And nowhere to go. They get lost a lot. You know, they're like, finally got to class on time, you know. <laughs> it's funny. I'm hearing Janina talk about burnout. And then I had a flash of an old 80s movie. I don't know if you've seen it, Nigel. It was called Real Genius. Um, oh, yes, with course. Val Kilmer. And Val there was Kilmer. a point where they're all studying in a library or something. And this kid just gets up and grabs his head and just starts screaming. Ah! And everybody's just watching him, and it's like two minutes of this kid screaming, and then he just leaves, and then everybody returns to their studies. <laughs> it was totally burnout back in the 80s. Yeah. I would imagine that there's probably multiple rooms in, in Hogwarts where a similar situation would probably occur. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the common room. Well, you know, around exam time, we certainly see Hermione getting stressed out. But, you know, in this episode, we see Harry and Ron being stressed out about finding their way and managing, especially Harry, for whom this is all really confusing. Well, Maisie, can you imagine the look and we're going to go space if we were late? That was bloody brilliant. Oh, thank you for that assessment, Mr. Weasley. Perhaps it would be more useful if I were to transfigure Mr. Potter and yourself into a pocket watch. That way one of you might be on time. We got lost. Then perhaps a map. 
I trust you don't need one to find your seats. Not only is this a difficult situation for Harry to get accustomed to everything all new, all magic stuff, all the schoolwork that he has to do, it's also middle school. And this is a time when young people are in the biggest need for those positive role models. And sometimes these role models come in the form of their teachers. How might teachers like McGonagall and Quirrell and Binns and Flitwick, how would they all differently affect students? I think teachers who are warm and compassionate are likely to take a role of almost like a surrogate parent. In fact, for many of us, we might remember our middle school or high school teacher that was warm and compassionate to us. And we certainly are likely to remember that one teacher or maybe those few teachers that were a bully. I still remember my elementary school teacher who was actually a drill sergeant a retired army drill sergeant and used to yell at all of us, especially at girls, if we couldn't perform and didn't realize that girls had periods and therefore would give us Fs if we wanted to sit out from gym. And then there are really warm and wonderful teachers who stay in our hearts forever, you know? So whether they're someone who is maybe strict but caring like McGonagall or almost parental like Dumbledore, those kind of teachers can get us through the most difficult times of our lives. They can let us know that we're cared for and they might even save our lives in some of the most challenging times. And I think, Nigel, this is a lot of what you do in terms of you going into schools and talking to kids about bullying and about their own self-worth. And I imagine that you've already had such a tremendous impact on young people. You know, let me say two things real quickly. One, there's been a lot of teachers in my past who stand out for a myriad of reasons, whether they were compassionate or encouraging or supportive or strict or just really difficult to understand or in one particular case was a teacher that just stood my mind for being weird and unusual which looking back I'm very glad that I had those different experiences as far as what I do like the most gratifying thing for me when working with particularly young students is empowering them to express themselves or to ask questions I do a lot of Q&A's and panels and things with young children and just giving them a space to vocalize their opinions or their questions and to have those things fully validated and interact with them in a way that takes into appreciation their natural curiosity and allow them that space where they can be themselves and communicate is such a rewarding thing for me. It means so much to me and I thoroughly enjoy what I do. That's so beautiful. And thank you for what you do. You're changing lives, Nigel. You're doing a wonderful job with that. Hopefully for the better. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because we were just talking about the other teachers and from the very beginning of Harry's interaction with Snape, he believes that Snape doesn't like him. In fact, he says that he believes that he hates him. So at the end of the first week, Harry believes that Snape is picking on him and singling him out in front of his class and embarrassing him. How might this behavior affect students, especially at that age? The thing that I come in, in contact with a lot, and this might be a little off topic. If it is, I apologize. You know, I have very strong opinions when it comes to particular this interaction because there's a lot of uh, quote-unquote Snape haters who will go on their tirades about what a bully he was. I mean, you have to keep in mind, is, is a fictional universe versus, uh, you know, the real universe? Unless you're a wizard trying to stave off the apocalypse or genocide of an entire race, 
Snape had very decisive reasons for exactly why he did what he did. And eventually, Voldemort was able to see inside of Harry's mind. And again, had he seen compassion or empathy or anything from Snape, it would have blown the entire thing. And that's my quick stand on that. But to answer your question, like, I have a wry sense of humor and a sarcastic sense of humor. And for the most part, I think most kids understand that. And And when I portray Snape in panels and things... It comes off as funny, but it's a very different environment. It can be damaging, I think, uh, in a real-world setting to have such a condescending or demeaning interaction with a child. Jeannie, I'm sure you've seen this, long-term lasting effects that, that in some cases may permeate even their adulthood. Absolutely. I've had a number of adult clients who still, to this day, are traumatized by the way they're either junior high school or high school teacher might have affected them in terms of some of the bullying that they might have experienced. There was one particular case where an adult client told me about the severe bullying, belittling, and shaming that she experienced as a child and believed that that same kind of bullying behavior might still occur at her old school. And when I called the school to make a report, I was told that this was not the first report about that particular teacher and that they were taking action. It showed that for many kids, this particular teacher affected them in a really negative way, in a way that stayed with them for many years and made them doubt their decisions, made them believe that they're not good enough, made them believe that they are not worthy of good things that happen to them. And in particular, that kind of bullying behavior that involves embarrassment, bringing everyone's attention to that student, singling out that student, that can be one of the most damaging things that a teacher can do. And similarly, creating negative social comparison by saying, hey, why aren't you doing as well as this other student? And we do see that quite a bit in terms of Snape pointing out, hey, look how much better Draco is performing, for example. Now, Snape is my favorite character, and I do believe that at least a part of his intentions might have been to protect Harry. I do believe that. I believe that throughout the series, that has been one of his main goals, is to protect Harry. At the same time, I do want to point out that some of his behaviors are likely to have hurt Harry, even if they were well-intended. What you were just saying, Janina, is interesting because... Snape appears to be projecting some of his animosity towards James onto Harry. We don't really know that at this point in the book, but how might these assumptions affect the teacher and student dynamic? There is such a thing as confirmation bias, which means that we might have a certain presumption and we might look for every kind of evidence that proves it, but discard any kind of evidence that disproves it. So we're just trying to confirm our beliefs. So it's possible that Snape at this point might have a belief that Harry is just as much of a rule breaker as James was, and that he might be up to no good like the Marauders were. So therefore, he might have an expectation of Harry to be like that. Prior to Snape and Harry meeting, Harry didn't seem to 
necessarily have that desire. But Snape in kind of having that belief and, and trying to prove that by always assuming that Harry's up to no good may have essentially been trying to confirm that belief, creating what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy is when we have a particular belief and where our actions essentially make that assumption come true. So it's possible that by Snape kind of making Harry out to be the naughty kid, the rule breaker, might have made Harry more likely to be a rule breaker than if he was presumed to be a rule follower. If I can interject for a moment, speaking solely from the more magical aspect of the situation, keeping in mind that, that Snape had to be almost consistently projecting the occlumency, keeping his, his thoughts at, at bay and, and hidden from any wizard who might be particularly good at the gentleman's, is it possible that using the past history between him and James, that he could draw on that, that sort of energy to sort of perpetuate that? I mean, I guess it's possible. I think it's a very interesting point that you bring up that he's already in his mindset of trying to keep his mind free from someone else learning the truth that he's actually a compassionate, cool dude, <laughs> you know. <laughs> In an apparent effort to humble Harry, Snape asks him a whole bunch of these questions, right? That Harry obviously has no previous knowledge about. Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. Tell me, what would I get if I added powdered root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? You don't know? Well, let's try again. Where, Mr. Potter, would you look if I asked you to find me a bezoar? I don't know, sir. And what is the difference between monkshood and wolfbane? I don't know, sir. Pity. Clearly, fame isn't everything, is it, Mr. Potter? How might this tactic affect students like Harry, as well as those around him, when they're singling him out and he doesn't know the answers? Well, it's very disempowering. I mean, you know, you've got a young Harry who's already at odds with the world he's trying to fit into, where he feels both the most at home and, again, completely alien. So while he's going through that sort of barrage of varied emotions, while he's excited and feels grateful to be part of something so fantastic, he gets sort of shirked back sharply by these comments of these interactions that painfully remind him that you're ill-prepared for this world. I think that's right on point. And there exists a social role experiment in psychology where witnesses observe one person asking questions that they know the answers to and the other person trying to answer those questions. And then the witnesses are asked, who do they find to be smarter? The person who asks the questions or the person that is answering the questions. And every single time, the witnesses always rate the person that is asking the questions as smarter. What's interesting is that there's a bias there, right? The person that's asking the questions, of course, knows the answers, so they're a lot more prepared. It's interesting that in this situation, Snape, being the teacher, knowing the answers to these questions that he's asking, he's automatically perceived as smarter. And Harry, because he doesn't happen to know the answers to those specific questions, can be automatically perceived as less intelligent, for example or can have a belief that he is not as smart as some of his classmates as, for example, Hermione, who happens to know the answers to these questions. Yes. 
For a lot of students, when they're picked on, when they're asked a question that they don't have an answer to, they might believe themselves to be not as smart as the kids around them because they happen to get the question they don't know. And similarly, sometimes other students might have that belief too. But again, you know, if we actually look at the entire situation, the the stakes are not really fair here, because Snape is asking Harry the questions that he knows very well, and questions that Harry wouldn't have any reason to prepare for. And he knows that he knows that Harry has no chance of knowing those specific things. Exactly. And he still takes five points from Gryffindor. <laughs> it's for his classmates' cheek. <laughs> <laughs> Gryffindors, note that five points will be taken from your house for your classmates' cheek. On another side view of this whole chapter, there was a point where Hagrid sends Harry an owl. At times like this, when someone is new to their environment and being picked on by a teacher and making these new friends and trying to have these friendly interactions with other staff and other teachers, this can be very helpful in the long run. How might Hagrid and Ron's friendship have affected Harry in the first couple of months at Hogwarts? I think that when we're first starting out at such an unfamiliar environment, having a support group is essential to allow us to feel like we belong. Belonging is the absolute universal need that most of us have. We want to feel like somebody likes us, that somebody cares about us. And I imagine that for Harry, having a friend, having never had a friend before, but having a friend like Ron, and then becoming friends with Hagrid and being invited to Hagrid's house means everything. Harry hasn't really been invited to anyone's house ever before. He was forced to go to Mrs. Fig's house. And, you know, we know at least by this point that he didn't like going there, but he was never invited anywhere. And so I imagine that for him to have people want to spend time with him, to invite him to hang out is incredibly meaningful because it allows him to see that people will care about him and that he's important and that he's not alone. In my mind, it becomes these sort of like little oases of, uh, or I don't want to use the term safe space specifically, but it becomes a sort of a place where you can breathe and just be yourself. And growing up as I did, I didn't move around a lot and I didn't move around at all, actually. And um, so I went from a grade school that was next door to the junior high and high school. So I, I had most of the same classmates my entire life. But even still, like growing up poor, there are moments where I was ostracized or left out or what have you. And to have friends or adults show you that level of compassion or empathy become these little oases, they become these moments where in the middle of your day, no matter how your day is going, you find these moments where you can breathe and be yourself. And I think that's tremendously important. Absolutely. These kind of like refuge places. You know, I actually um, had one like that in junior high school. There was a junior high school teacher that would allow me to hide out in her homeroom if I didn't want to go to the lunchroom because I didn't necessarily get along with a lot of my classmates. And there were times that I would come to school like an hour or two early before school started just to help her set up her classroom and decorate because her classroom felt very safe. And looking at it now, I can see how that was almost like my Hagrid's hut. Mm -hmm. Your oasis. <laughs> my oasis. 
I just love it how he has all these deadlines with all the schoolwork. He's having a hard time with his teacher. And he finally gets this little owl from Hagrid. And you can even see it in the chapter. He's just so refreshed by this. He's like, oh, yes, please. He just <laughs> needs a break from all this other stuff that's going on and have that connection, that friendship, that easygoing, free environment. I love this chapter. And Nigel, you're a fantastic guest. Can you give us a Snape impersonation before we go? Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) People often ask me just to recite certain lines or do certain things. And one of my favorites is actually from a much later scene, but I'll I'll quickly just do it for you now. Inside, on a day like this, people might think you're up to something. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. That's great. There's, There's a line, I think it's from Goblet of Fire, where Snape says, you know, perhaps it's best we let these events unfold. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Much to the surprise of McGonagall and Dumbledore, where Snape's like, let's just let this play out and see how this happens. (laughs) Instead of being rigid or, you know, well, let's just shut the whole thing down, which is is stereotypical. He's like, let's just stand back and let's just watch this. (laughs) I love Snape so much. He's my favorite character. So I definitely want to talk more about Snape in the future. We'd love to have you back in the future. If you're interested in being back. I would love to be back. Like you said earlier, we've done many panels and and things together. And I always look forward to when the three of us at the same event or the same goings on. And me too. I miss you. It's something (laughs) that I treasure always. Oh, my heart. Oh, we love you. I can't do it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) My heart just went wee wee. That was awesome. Would you mind telling us how to get a hold of you or our audience members how to get a hold of you? Yeah, social media. Sure. I'm very easily found. I'm Vladimir Snape on all social medias. That includes YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. You can email me at VladimirSnape at gmail.com. You can also contact me directly through the Facebook. I do respond. Yeah, those are really the best ways to get a hold of me. Those are, I think, my, my three major things. And also... If anybody's in the New England area or the Pennsylvania, uh, Connecticut, New Jersey area, I do a lot of work with a group called the Pirate Empire, and we provide characters for Harry Potter parties, for Marvel Universe, DC Universe, Star Wars Universe. There's a lot of uh, different characters that we make available to special events and parties. So if anybody has a need, you can contact me or the Pirate Empire on uh, Instagram, and we will definitely get back to you and provide those services. Awesome. That's fantastic. We're going to go ahead and end this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill. If you want to find out more about Harry Potter Therapy, you can check out Dr. Janina Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. Stay magical out there, everybody, and have a great day. <laughs>